Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 35 of the OCR Underground Show. We're showing you everything you need to dominate your next OCR race. You can find the show notes for this episode at ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 35. And while you're over at the OCR Underground website, make sure you sign up for our four-part series on how to step up and just crush your next Spartan race. We give you everything you need in a four-part email series. Just fill in your name and email, and you'll get that immediately. All right, just want to give a quick update what I'm going to be up to the next couple weeks. Um, I am going to be heading over to Boise and racing the sprint there. If you're there, I'd love to meet up. Uh, feel free to reach out on Facebook or email me. It's always great to finally get to meet people that I'm chatting with online and that listen to the show. Uh, and then right after that, I'm heading over to Denver and teaching a workshop on posture and mobility to a group of trainers out there. If you are a coach or a trainer and looking for some CECs, we're going to talk all about improving posture, improving mobility, improving performance uh, in a great one-day workshop. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you're interested, you can you can check that out there. But on to this week's episode. As usual, we have an awesome show for you. Giving the Monterey Super and Hurricane Heat Spartan Race Recap, we have the woodworking Spartan, Sam Slossman from OCR Centers, and he has an awesome recap and gives you some great tips if you are planning on running a Hurricane Heat, and also gives a, a pretty great tip on uh, the tire flip, which I know is uh, giving a lot of people some issues with that that real heavy tire. In our research review, I go over squatting and we talk about an awesome write-up in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research that breaks down the squat to just a million different ways and we have some awesome practical applications to make sure you're squatting the way you want to be and, and really the way that you should be. And then finally, in our coaches interview, I have on level two SGX coach Brad Sims with Legacy Athletic Hub out of New Jersey, and he shares his insight on his program design he does with his clients. We talk all about body weight training and movement pattern training. Uh, we get into proper core training, lessons he's learned on common gait and running compensations, and even some exercises you can do at work if you're just sitting at your desk. So uh, another great interview. So let's get into this week's episode. Hey everyone, this is SGX coach Sam Slosman here. Uh, I'm going to do the race recap for the Monterey Super and Monterey Hurricane Heat. So, uh, the Monterey Super was 8.5 miles um, with 27, 28 obstacles. We started out, there's actually a lot of space between the obstacles. Uh, we started out with over the walls and over under through into a six foot wall. Um, and there was a lot of distance between the obstacles, which was kind of nice, especially if you're a trail runner. This is definitely a trail runner's course. Um, there was hills throughout, but nothing that was daunting like San Jose was. Um, the thing that kind of was different about this course was the obstacles like Olympus and the rope climb, which are usually near the end, were actually in the beginning. So uh, about uh, obstacle six, we ran into the Olympus, and then we went into the Bucket Brigade. And Bucket Brigade act happens to be my favorite, and this one was actually pretty long. Um, we started out going up a hill around the corner, and you thought you were about to come back, but it actually snaked back around, and it made it just slightly longer, and just a little bit, just a mind 
just change your mind, your mental attitude about it. Because uh, you thought you were done, and it just turns a corner. Uh, but after the Bucket Brigade, we went to the Spear Throw. And I know a lot of people struggle with the Spear Throw, and this one actually was uphill. So it definitely threw a lot of people um, off just a little bit. So that made it an extra challenge. Uh, after the Spear Throw, we went to the Rope Climb, and then to an 8-foot wall. After talking to people after the race... I heard a lot of people say they uh, that it was a 10-foot wall. They, they felt like it was a 10-foot wall. It seemed a little bigger this time, um, something new. Um, I guess that's different. So then, um, the, after that, it was pretty much spaced out throughout. We went to a plate drag, bar bar crawl, sandbag carry. Uh, the vendor was in there this time, which was nice to see. Um, I like that. It's a little bit of a challenge. Um, and then we went to the inverter wall. Then between mile six and mile seven, there was a giant break, um, just straight trail running, and actually that was where the hills started to take the toll. We went up um, of the constant steady incline for a good probably mile, and then I got broken up with a um, the four hurdles. They threw the four hurdles in there, and the uh, they had a bear crawl um, in there as well. So that was kind of nice to break up the the monotonous hill that was in our way. And as we came back down, we came down off that hill into the monkey bars. And the monkey bars were actually started out pretty high. Um, they were spaced out like normal, um, but they went up and they went kind of down and back up again. And I know that had, threw a lot of people off. After the monkey bars, we went into the Atlas carry um, and the Z-Wall, which was just a standard Atlas carry and Z-Wall. And then into... After that, we ran back into near the festival area, and we thought we were about done into the festival area, and they sent us back up another hill, um, again, just to mess with us mentally. So we went up a hill, one last hill, back down to the hill, into the, um, oh, sorry, into the rolling mud and dunk wall and slip wall, which was really nice and refreshing after it got a little hot um, in the afternoon heats especially. After the slip wall, we went into the Herkhoist, um, which... I know it gives a lot of people a struggle, especially now that your hands are wet. Made the rope a little trickier. After the Hercules, we went into the tire flip. And that tire flip is no joke. It was about a 400-pound tire, I think, for the guys. About 200 for the women. Um, but the, what makes it truly difficult is there's no grip. So it's really hard to put your hand underneath that tire to get a good leverage on it. Um, a, lot of trick, a trick I saw was people were going around the tire until they felt the hole that they can actually get their hand underneath and then lift it from there. Um, so that was definitely a struggle. Um, after the tire, we went into the bridge, which was this nice, kind of like a, it was a giant bridge that we climbed up with, um, kind of like the cargo net or A-frame. And then after that, we went into the twister. Um, and the twister was three bays long this time, so a little longer. Um, but after the twister was the multi-rig. And that was a tough combination for a lot of people, because I know people already struggle with the twister, and then going right after the multi, right into the multi-rig, it was really hard to do burpees and see the finish line within your grasp so that was the race it was a great race um definitely a trails trail runners race um and it had a lot of single lane running which was nice but then there was enough room that you didn't feel like you were gonna get thrown off the edge if someone came running by you um definitely really enjoyed that one it was nice to have some shade and some sun later that night we did the hurricane heat um with about 160 180 people um, it was a, a, definitely a different hurricane heat than in previous years. This one, I would say their theme was more games and mental things. Um, we did a lot of carries. So we carried a, they called it a litter, and we carried about 100 
and 20 to 150 pounds of sandbags on our shoulders for about four miles and distance going between different stations. Um, there was one station where we had to carry a tire as a group up and down a hill and then run and do burpees and run through the slip wall. If you've never done a hurricane heat before, I always recommend doing them. It's hard to describe to someone that's never seen it before because um, you never know what to expect. Each one is definitely different. This one just had a nice, it was more relaxed, and we played um, a childhood game. One of my favorites as a kid was the lava game, and we did that with sandbags. And it just got you into this teamwork mentality. So the the, the hurricane heats are definitely more um, teamwork-based, not leaving your uh, fellow teammate behind, and going it, which is different than a 12-hour, which is more individual. Overall, everyone did a great job. Can't wait. This was a great venue. I can't wait to run it again next year. So this was the Monterey Super and Hurricane Heat. Again, my name is Sam Slossman, SJX Coach. You can find me on Instagram, woodworking underscore Spartan, or with my team name, Centers OCR. Look forward to seeing you guys out there. Aru. All right, in this week's research review, I want to go over squatting. And we're going to talk about a study, uh, a squatting review in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research in 2010 called Squatting Kinematics and Kinetics and Their Applications to Exercise Performance, which basically just means they're going to break down the squat a ton, look at every uh, joint position, the different angles of the joints, loads that are placed on the joints, and, and really just break down everything you'd need to know in a squat and how it applies to your training program. And obviously, we can spend a ton of time uh, really this whole podcast talking about the squat and this uh, people will debate the squat and really fight over different styles of squatting and that's not what this is for the point of this is just to look at different types of squats look at your own type of squatting and just see are there things that you could be doing better or maybe you're doing things that the way that you should uh, so that's what we're going to focus on and obviously squatting is really the most often used exercise that you're going to see, regardless of what your training program is uh, trying to get. So if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to train for a race, if you're just trying to train to improve performance and function, you're going to be doing some type of squatting. And you want to ask yourself, well, why are you squatting in the first place? Because there are different reasons that you are going to squat. Maybe you're going to squat just for function. Maybe um, you just want to improve how you get through daily activities and you're going to use squat to help with that. Maybe you're going to use a squat as a mobility tool and just to help increase hip mobility and other joints. Uh, or maybe you're trying to improve strength or performance. So you always have to ask yourself, why am I squatting? Because how you will do that squat is going to completely change because how you squat for strength and how you squat for mobility are, are different and we, we shouldn't be squatting exactly the same uh, depending on that. And you, you want to look at, so how much do you need to be squatting? And when I say that is, how much do you need to be squatting for strength? And some people will go crazy and always load the squat and try and push max reps and things like that. And, you know, there is a time and a place for that. But remember, why are you squatting in the first place? And, you know, since for this podcast, we're talking about obstacle course racing. How often are you going to need max loaded squats, right? And there, there are certain events out there that you might actually need to squat, like maybe an epic series and you are going to be lifting heavy weights. So that that is going to play a role in this. If you're doing something more like a, a Spartan race or Tough Mudder or something along those lines, you don't really need to be killing yourself with max loading squats. And 
Um, you know, some people are going to fight me on this, but I, I just, at the point where I am that I've worked with myself and with my clients, um, it just, it, always look at the risk reward and what are the risks of max loading squats? And to me, there are a lot of them. And I think you can still get strong, but not load yourself up like crazy. So we want to look at that and see, is it really going to benefit you that more by doing the squats? And when we look at races, you know, you might want to think about more single leg squats because that's what we're doing in a race, right? We're using more single leg force, like climbing up hills or jumping over walls or uh, whatever it might be, right? We see a lot more things off of one leg versus two. So, you know, something to consider, but I'm, I'm not saying let's throw away all squ- uh, double leg or bilateral squats. It's just something to consider that um, if you're going to do a ton of loaded squats, your risk for certain injuries and issues go up. So um, I, I, I'm still a big fan of squatting. I just don't know that it's necessary to co- continually max load it so we can do lots of great things with sub-maximal loading but um, all that being said squatting obviously is going to be a crucial part of our program Uh, it's estimated that 200 muscles are going to be active during a squat which is crazy right that's uh, just a ton of different muscle activation so um, this is why we want to incorporate it because it's going to train so many different things and in this article like I said, they really broke down the squat, and um, I, I'm not going to go over every single thing in in this article, but I will link to it if you want to see some more things that they talked about. But it breaks down thing the squat at, at all the different major joints that are we're talking about with squatting, like the ankle. And I've talked a ton about the ankle in the past, and it should be no surprise that ankle the ankle is going to be critical for your squatting performance. So we need proper ankle mobility in order to squat properly anyway. If you don't have good ankle range of motion, I can guarantee you're not a great squatter and it's something that you're going to struggle with. So making sure we we do everything possible to improve that ankle mobility. And in fact, if you do lack, lack ankle mobility, um, you are at a higher risk for an ACL tear or at least a, an ACL strain. So definitely something to consider there. Um, but not just mobility, we need strength and we need... Um, the muscle surrounding the ankle to be strong to to properly control that squat and ankle weakness is actually found to be the genesis of many poor squatting mechanics so we definitely want that balance there between mobility and strength at at the ankle starting from from the ground up uh, moving on to the knee obviously there's lots of different forces that can be placed on the knee there's compression forces there's shear forces there's torsion or twisting uh, so depending on the type of squat you're doing or the depth, all of those things are going to change. And and in fact, you know, some people argue, well, how deep should you get in a squat? Now, when you get lower into a squat, some forces actually do increase, like the forces placed on your PCL or compression forces will go up. But there are actually some forces that will decrease as you get deeper into a squat, like um, some shear forcing placed on the ACL. So again, it just depends on maybe some if you have some prior injuries, if you've had a PCL issue in the past, or maybe meniscus or um, compression forces give you trouble, then you have to watch the depth of your squat because pushing through that might actually generate more more problems. So um, we, we want to consider all those different forces. And with, with the knee, um, one big thing we see is, you know, as you squat, your knees do have to move forward. And you know, you'll hear the things like, oh, don't let your knees go past your toes. And honestly, we can't really 
throw a blanket statement out there like that because oftentimes your knees will absolutely go past your toes and it's still a good looking squat, but we're all put together differently and just our biomechanics are going to be different. So some people, hey, it's no big deal if their ankle or if their knees go past their toes and other people, it's going to be an issue. But, you know, if you see the knees going past the toes and your heels are being elevated and you're lifting your heels off the ground, then obviously that's a problem. But um, we don't want to think of it as, as a black and white line where we cannot let the knees go past the the toes at all because sometimes it's going to be necessary but that being said again when your knees move forward during a squat the sheer force on your knee is going to increase so we don't want excessive forward movement of the knee but we need to allow some of it to go forward so we know uh, some of that sheer stress stress is going to increase on the knee Um, so like the ACL is going to be put under more stress but what, uh, according to the study, they're showing that co-contraction of the hamstring. So when you uh, engage your quadricep without the hamstring, it actually increases the strain being placed on the ACL. But if we contract our hamstrings at the same time, then it's actually going to reduce some of that shear force. And this is why the hamstrings are so important. So making sure you're doing proper hamstring training, maybe before you do your squats, just not completely fatiguing them, but just activating them so they're ready to go. When- so we definitely just want to pay attention to um, how, how deep are we squatting since these forces are going to be different. And it all comes down to if you're feeling pain by going past parallel um, or, or to whatever depth and it's just not feeling right, you probably want to back off and look, why can't I squat this low? Is it um, something is preventing me from doing that movement like mobility or is it a strength issue? Whatever it might be, but just pushing through that pain is often a way to lead to more pain and then uh, you'll have bigger issues on your hand. Um, And uh, kind of on the same topic, so moving up to the hips, um, an interesting thing you do want to consider if if you're um, with your squat depth is when we squat to parallel or less, like a partial squat to about a parallel squat, that means we're getting tons of quad activation, not as much hip extensor activation or glute activation. So if you're trying to get a little bit more glute work, you actually want to hit some of those deeper squats if you can. Because when you drop below parallel, you're getting a lot more, or you need you need more hip extension to get out of that squat. So we need a lot more glute drive to get up back to our starting position. So if you're trying to get more glute activity, you want to work on some of those deep squats. But you just have to be careful because since loading um, and then deep squatting, we know forces on the knee are maybe at an unsafe level, you might want to do more unloaded squats or light resistance if you're going to do some of those deeper squats. But it all comes down to if you can even do that type of squat. If you can't, don't force it. You know, Work on mobility and unload the squat and work on your depth there, but don't load your back up or, or do some crazy weight and then try and drop into a deep squat because that's exactly where you're going to get into trouble. So like I said, there are a ton more... Um, uh, information in this article that they looked at all the different joints and different angles and different types of squats but again i wanted to keep this a little bit more basic so you at least have some takeaways so i want to leave you with uh, some of the main practical applications that you can get from from this article and number one is looking at squat depth and like we just talked about the main thing here is 
what is your goal? Your squat depth should be consistent with your goal. So like I said, if you're trying to get more hip work, more glute work, then maybe you want a deeper squat. But we also know forces like compression forces are going to increase the lower you squat. So if you have issues with compression forces on your knee, then is it that important to get hip activation there? Can you get it some other way in your program? So you might want to limit if that's the case. So just remember, how squat you are, how low you're going to get in your squat should be completely dependent on your goal, your situation, not what anybody posts online or or something cool that you saw on Facebook, whatever it might be. So remember, it's you should be squatting the way you were meant to squat, not like anybody else. Um, the next thing, kind of along the same lines, speed. The speed of your squat, and especially the lowering or the eccentric, so as you squat down, should be consistent with your goal. Do you need to drop fast? So it's kind of the same thing we talked about with squat depth. The faster you lower into a squat, the more forces are going to be placed on the knees. So if, if you're at a risk for any type of injury or you're worried about it, you definitely want to do more of a slow eccentric. So definitely taking your time under control, dropping into that squat. And then if you want to get out of that squat a little bit faster, again, you know, anytime you move quick, there's always a risk that something can go wrong, but there's less risk uh, compared to the eccentric. So if you still want to work on speed and power and jumping and things like that, you definitely can just focus more on a slower eccentric and then a more explosive. The third takeaway, and I think this might be the most important one, is your stance. So how wide or how close should you be? And that is going to completely change the dynamics of the squat as well. So the wider stance, you're actually going to increase hip work. So you're going to get a little bit more hip adductors, like your glute medius, the sides of those glutes, and um, your hip extensors, so the glutes in general. So we're just getting a lot more glute work. So if you have an issue with a deep squat, and you, but you still want to get that glute activity um, to increase, you might want to just switch over to a more wider stance squat, and that might help you out there. A, clo a closer stance squat, you're going to get a little bit more calf work um, on top of everything else and a little bit more quad work. So again, just slightly different. But the, the even more important I want to bring up in terms of injury prevention or reducing your risk for, for knee issues is how you stand will change the forces placed on your knee, which I think is really interesting. So, uh, for example, if you have a wider stance, you're going to reduce shear force placed on your knee. If you have a closer stance, you're going to reduce compression forces. So, again, um, you may not know if you have an issue with either, but play around with it and see if one helps you. Now, uh, for me, for example, I, I have long legs. I'm 6'3", and I always just assume because I have long legs, I should do a wider stance. So that's typically how I did my, my squats. And I noticed I never really felt comfortable with it, and you know I would get some knee issues when I did it. Um, so I started playing around with it, and I went to a slightly narrow stance and would do my squats that way, and it was just way more comfortable to do it that way. And this just makes sense to me because I, I was a, a high jumper in college and did it throughout high school and even before then. And, you know, I put a lot of beatings on my knees and um, I probably have a little bit of issues with some of that compression force. So um, I, I'll, for, for me, I'll stick to that more narrow stance because I want to reduce that compression force on my knees so I can still squat but have a little bit more comfort there and, and reduce my risk of injury. So again, just something for you to play around with. You might not notice anything or you might notice one way is a little bit more comfortable than the other way. Um, 
Number four is uh, looking at front squats. And there's obviously tons of different variations of squats. Now, they didn't look at every single one of them in this study, but they did look at a few. And front squats was a big one. And they noticed that with front squats compared to back squats, uh, it reduced low back compression and knee compression, um, which is pretty interesting as well. So um, if you, again, have low back issues or just worried about it or, or knees as well, you might want to stay away from the back squats and stick more to a front squat or just maybe not load the back squat as much and go heavier with your front squats. Again, you can apply this however you want, but it's just uh, good information to at least ask yourself why you're doing certain things. And when you think about it, the, the front squat's probably way more functional and a better training tool than the back squat um, because when we look again look at these races if you are going to be carrying a load most likely it's in front of you so you want to get strong in that type of stance and that type of grip versus having something across your shoulders it just might not you might not find yourself in that position needing to uh, lift a ton of weight like that so again at least just something to con consider and then the, the last takeaway which may sound basic and um uh, self-explanatory, but I do want to throw it out there, and that is uh, fatigue has a very high negative effect on technique. Um, so obviously, the more you're training, the more you're getting fatigued, the more likely something is going to break down and lead to issues. So um, just be careful with any type of heavy loading squats or just high repetitions uh, or both. Right? We want to make sure, I, I always like leaving one or two in the tank. We don't need to really train to failure all that often. You know, every once in a while is fine. You might be testing your one rep max or um, doing a, a, a particularly tough workout every once in a while. But this is not something that needs to be done on a weekly basis where you're just completely training to failure um, and just destroying your body that way. So uh, leave one, maybe even two in the tank. Um, you're still going to get a ton of benefit. You're going to stay safe, but still get uh, great strength improvements with that. All right. So I hope some of those points uh, help out your squat. If not, you know, at least just play around with it and see if, if any of them make a difference for you. All right, it's time for the coaches interview. And as I mentioned, I have on SGX level two coach Brad Sims with Legacy Athletic Club. And along with being a SGX coach, he's also a precision nutrition coach and a NASM or National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer and corrective exercise specialist. So he has a pretty wide background from different disciplines. So I thought he'd be a great person to get on the podcast. And he actually works with a PT clinic. So he has great exposure from really both sides of the spectrum with, with fitness and the rehab side. Uh, so he, in his interview, he gives some great tips on lessons he's learned with working so closely with, with physical therapists and is going to provide you with some great insight to help you with your training program. All right, Coach Sims, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show, man. How's everything going? Good, good. I'm, I'm excited to uh, start talking some OCR training with you and, and see how you might be able to help out some of our listeners. Great. I'll, I'll do what I can. I'd love to help. All right. So let's let's jump right in. So for those that don't know who you are, let's just get a little background about you. Maybe just a little bit uh, how you got into racing and then how you started uh, doing some OCR coaching. Sure, sure. Um, well, 2014, I believe, was the my first OCR event. Um, this was Warrior Dash, okay, which was in uh, North Jersey at the time. Um, then after that, I tried one called Mudman X, um, and then after that, I tried the I think it was the 2014 or 2015 Tuxedo Spartan Sprint. 
<clears throat> so that was my first actual Spartan race. Awesome. Um, and I had, I hadn't really known much about obstacle course racing in general, except that I spectated a Tough Mudder way back in like 2011. And I was just going there to support a friend. And uh, I was quite like curious about all the stuff I was seeing there. I'm like, whoa, this is a thing? Like people do all this? <laughs> <laughs> I'd always been pretty active, I, at least I thought I was active, but I never really heard about obstacle course racing. And it, I know at the time, looking back, that was pretty new at the time. You know, they started in 2010. But um, by 2014, I could see that there were several races to choose from. And so I knew uh, OCR was growing. I could see that it was a, a, a cool trend to be. Dr. Jeff Godin, and at the time he was just starting up a Spartan group exercise training program for coaches. Uh, so I went to a work two day workshop in Washington, DC in 2015. And uh, I gotta say it was very intensive, but super, super informative, really, really good experience. Met some cool coaches who I'm still in touch with on social media. And then uh, the following year, 2016, I went out to Arizona for a level two certification um, and this one included two days of intensive plus I think we did a six mile hike in the desert um, up these up these mountains and it was beautiful I mean it's just a great place to be great place to be awesome. um, so yeah so the I had always been pretty active in you know weight training um, strength and conditioning but uh, I, only, I only became a personal trainer in uh, 2012, so I've been at it about five years now. Okay, cool. And before um, you started working with others that were training for obstacle course racing, um, what, what type of clientele were you working with? Before obstacle course racing? Um, yeah. Primarily I was doing in-home training, uh, working at various gyms. Um, but. Mainly, I was only focused on what I knew, and what I knew was, you know, traditional weight training and bodybuilding type stuff. I knew very little about cardio training, you know, other than go for a jog or ride a bike. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where I focused on, and I started to see uh, a trend. <clears throat> excuse me. In um, this was like 2013. I started to notice that gyms were starting to. Uh, encourage, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, but encourage a little more of what we now call functional training. So in, in my mind, functional training means movement that's translatable to to everyday life. Okay. You know, doing a heavy deadlift with a barbell in the gym might mean picking up, you know, two heavy bags of groceries to get up the stairs into your house. Yeah, yeah. You know, same type of mechanics apply. Um, I know we don't typically bear crawl in real life much, but you know, obstacle course racing provides uh, multiple opportunities to do that. Yeah, yeah. And itself, it's a it's a challenging workout. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, I'm a big fan of, of functional training, obviously. And and a lot of times, yeah, we don't bear crawl, but it's it's funny when you know the an exercise doesn't necessarily have to look exactly like something you do in real life for it still to have a lot of functional benefit, right? Like. Agreed. You see similarities with bear crawling and climbing all the time, whether you're climbing, you know, rock climbing or you're climbing over a wall in a race uh, or even to running, just teaching that opposite arm leg. And sometimes people think, oh, if it doesn't look like something you do in real life, then it's not functional. But there's right. obviously carryover in lots of different things. Sure. 
I so, totally agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so were you were you an athlete or anything like that, or just kind of into fitness? Um, I was just into fitness. My dad got me into weightlifting when I was about 16, um, and I just kind of maintained, you know, weightlifting at various gyms throughout high school, college, and beyond. Um, but I was never really into sports. In fact, I didn't. I was kind of an introvert in in high school, elementary school. So I didn't go out for sports. I briefly tried cross country running, and I ended up getting a stress fracture in my tibia. Um, more on that later, but I, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, I've I've come to learn a lot from working at a physical therapy clinic for four years um, about gait and running. And uh, I had I simply had orthotics in my shoes, I probably could have avoided that whole thing. Um, but I, yeah, but I had to drop out. So I did uh, competitive swimming instead. Really, I just want to get a varsity letter. Oh, yeah. yeah. So when you started doing these races, was that a pretty big jump out of your comfort zone then? Oh my God, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, because like I said, I, I hadn't I hadn't regularly run in probably 10, 12 years. Uh, I did not realize how much running was involved. I didn't realize how many hills would be involved. <laughs> you know, Spartan Race loves to throw hills at you whenever possible. Okay. You know, they use the terrain is an obstacle and. If you're not ready for that, man, it's it wears you out. Absolutely. So, so I'll have to ask. I always love uh, getting into people's first race. How many burpees did you do in that first race? <laughs> I lost count, man. <laughs> if I were to guess, I've, I probably did 150 plus. You know, I, I'm always good about following the rules, doing my burpees. But, man, my my one friend Elia, who was running with me, he was like, "Dude, come on, like you're." <laughs> You're slow and your burpees are holding me up. Like, so, uh, but we struggled through it together. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know, a lot of people would, if their first race looked like that, and, and probably a lot of people's first race does look like that, where it's burpee after burpee. And, and um, you know, people might think of that as, I, you know, I didn't do well, you know, I failed, whatever. But as you finish, you don't fail, right. you know, and if you just do your burpees. And if it takes you, five hours to get through a sprint it takes you five hours the whole point is not to win it unless you know unless you're trying to win it but it's for most people it's just to get out there have fun and then you have one under your belt now look at what did i do not so well and where can i improve from there that's exactly right um i would say to 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 the beginner racers um yeah you do need a little bit of courage and commitment to uh get into that first race and, and get through it but it, it all gets better from there i can promise you that yeah. um you know if, if one thing is there's always a fear factor there's the unknown you don't know what obstacles are necessarily waiting for you they throw a couple new ones in every year so they keep you guessing but uh even just the fact that you do it regularly you start to meet a lot of the same people there's a really awesome uh, community of racers out there um, a lot of people helping each other, and that's that's a beautiful thing to see. It it, it always gets better. Absolutely. I can tell you that. Awesome. So let's all right. Let's let's get into training a little bit. Let's start big picture, and then we can kind of work our way down into specifics. So let's say you have. Okay. Let's let's start with the beginner, right? So somebody who you know they work out, um, maybe more emphasis on strength training, that kind of traditional approach. They want to do a Spartan race. What would, uh, uh, and I know this is a hard answer to, to uh, or a question to necessarily answer, but 
what would a sample program look like if we just like look at one one week at a time if we're just getting going with them what are kind of the big elements that you'd want to make sure they're including there okay so the big elements for a first timer i would say is you're going to want to do a lot of body weight training um there's there's always a tendency for students who have come from a weight training discipline to like okay i wouldn't expect to do any exercise without weight like throw a weight on me mm -hmm. Let, let's make this harder but um i come to find through experience that uh, people people have a lot of weaknesses and I, I'll, I'll venture so far as to say athletes have a lot of weaknesses they have a lot of movement compensations that they're just better at hiding it than the average joe right because for an athlete to have a compensation that could lead to an injury is to you know give up a season of com competition they don't want to do that yeah, yeah. they got to get really good at hiding it um so i would you know body weight stuff for starters uh you know your typical your squats your lunges maybe some deadlifts uh a lot of flexibility is encouraged uh initially a good dynamic warm-up you know, um, a, a, a warm-up that involves a lot of slow but uh, large range of motion, such as, um, you know, a push-up position to rotating to a T. You know, the one arm reaches up. Maybe you're starting a high push-up position to bring one foot forward to the hand and reach the opposite hand up. So you get kind of a an adductor stretch, a hip stretch in there. Yeah. Um, so walking lunges with a with a body rotation, like to do like to do those in my warm ups. Um, then I always encourage I look at training movements, not muscles, right? Look at movement patterns. We we like to train squats and lunges are two huge movement patterns. Crawling is a movement pattern. Pushing and pulling are movement patterns. Um, and I try not to think of the core. I know that word is so overused. I try not to think of the core as its own thing. I try to think of the core as the transference point between upper and lower body and think about planes of motion. Uh, we all, for instance, we always walk, you know, a certain way every day of our lives, you know, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And that's sagittal plane motion is what we call that. But we never walk sideways, right? We don't generally turn our trunk very much unless we're doing specific stuff in the gym. Um, so, so I try to incorporate a lot of movements that involve trunk rotation, uh, such as, uh, do you know the barbell landmine variations? Yeah. Okay. So just going from one hip and swinging up toward your head and then lowering toward the other hip, right? You've, you've got to involve that, uh, you know the the rotation of the legs and feet as you do it but you need the core to transfer all the force right it can't just be upper body and lower body without involving the core to some extent yeah yeah that's so awesome that's one that I'll, I'll make sure sorry to interrupt but I'll, I'll make sure i put a link to what the landmine is just in case any of our listeners aren't aren't quite sure um what what that barbell type of uh, workout would look like but i'll, I'll throw that in there Fantastic. yeah okay so cool keep going yeah yeah, that's right. Um, I do. We do a lot of uh, band-resisted side-stepping, so this is considered frontal plane movement. Um, 
I've come from learning at the physical therapy clinic, I've come to learn that most people who have to sit a lot for work or they're stuck with long commutes, they always, always, always have weak outer hip muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and the hip unfortunately has a majority of control over the position of your knee. Um, most trainers, I'm sure you know, when you, when you assess a client, you probably have them do some sort of squat and you watch if their knees cave in. Mm-hmm. And everyone's knees pretty much do cave in because their hips are generally weak. So we try to do band resisted movement where the hips abduct, right? They move apart. Um, then sometimes we'll take it a little more high intensity. We'll go into side shuffles. We'll maybe do some karaoke steps, you know, the grapevine where you cross your feet front and back. Mm-hmm. It's a sideways movement, but I like that it gets the trunk and the pelvis uh, counter-rotating each other. Um, it's not a bad agility drill either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it, so it sounds like a lot of the stuff you're incorporating, so y- you kind of have a, a, a nice, unique situation being uh, working with physical therapists. And um, yeah. it's funny when you see there, there's a clear blend of training and physical therapy, and there, there should be that crossover because a lot of times people feel that you should only be doing PT exercises if you're hurt. But it's, you know, why yeah. not do those exercises not all true. the time, right? And yeah. guys, that's that's our whole goal. Like, I always try and think my number one goal is I don't want you to get hurt working out. My number two goal is I don't right. want you to get hurt racing or in everyday life. And then number three goal is let's get you better, let's get your performance up and, and all those things. But if we don't take those injury preventions as our priority, yeah, we can just kick your butt and just destroy you and now you can't race or now you can't go to work or whatever so right. um, I, I think that having a, that a, either a PT background or working with a PT with a trainer or just having a trainer that can have that blend there um, yeah. is, is such an advantage for people I think so um, it's, it's also just super informative because a lot of what you will see and hear ties into the stuff that you're learning in your textbooks you know and then and then you can just, that's the beauty of it is, you can just apply that with your clients. They don't even have to know it's a specific thing. Just like, you know, I'm gonna have them do this movement today. I wanna see how they do with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love everything you're saying with the core too. Like, And that's exactly how we should think about the core, right? That's the link between upper body and lower body and it holds everything together. I know everybody yeah. wants, you know, the six pack. Six and pack. They, they want those abs burning. And you know what? That's, oftentimes a side product like you're at, you're going to feel your abs when you do some of these core movements like that landmine rotation you're talking about you're also going to feel yeah. your hips you're going to feel your shoulders you're going to feel all these other things and that's that's the important thing and just think like if you're ever in a race when was the last race you had that you only felt your abs burning right like it, it, right. everything is, everything is fatiguing everything's getting tired not not one specific muscle and um so I, I just love that you brought that up because I think that's, you know, exactly how we need to think of the core. Yeah. Awesome. So let's let's get into. All right. So we, we have that dynamic um, warm up. So let's just get into um, sort of strength training. So we're, we're going to train fundamental movement patterns, a lot of body weight. Are you, are you throwing any weights in there or are you pretty much sticking to body weight with a beginner? I know we're focusing mainly on the beginner there. Well, I'll tell you, because I, I do have a lot of. Um, I teach uh, four classes a week right now at, at, a, at a gym, and it's a gym geared specifically toward obstacle racing and also ninja warrior training. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, do beginners get 
weights and equipment to use, of course. I mean, there's a certain level of intensity, but will I use my professional judgment to maybe regress the amount of weight? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I first thing I do when I meet a new student is I ask them, do you have any injuries I need to know about? And nine times out of 10, they say no. Once in a while you get, oh, I had a ACL injury. Well, when was that? Oh, 12 years ago. Okay. Then I'm not going to worry about it. You know, we're not doing anything really radical here. But sometimes they'll go through the workout and all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, you know, I forgot to tell you, I did sort of bother my shoulder last month. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, now you tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do have to improvise on the fly a little bit, but that's that's okay. That's par for the course, as they say. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they'll we'll work out with, you know, kettlebells. We'll do uh, Spartan pancakes. We'll do rec bags. We'll do... Um, this is, you know, just for strength training. We'll also do, we'll work with tires. Um, we'll flip tires. We might work with medicine balls, uh, doing stuff like chest passes. We might do box jumps for, um, for power, power training. Nice. Um, so we got to pepper in things, as I like to say, just a little dash of this and a dash of that. Overall, you see kind of an intense picture of a workout, but everything is is pretty carefully chosen yeah, yeah. to them variety but also focus on a task at hand so at my gym for example we like to do specific movements on specific days so that people can avoid overtraining okay. those movements so for instance for instance monday and thursday might be uh squat lunge deadlift and carrying you know farmer carry suitcase carry atlas carry and what have you um Wednesday might be um, pushing, uh, bending, crawling, something like that. Okay. And then, of course, there's a day for climbing, for overhead pressing, etc. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's. I was going to ask you that. So you're you're not gonna uh, you don't typically do like total body. You're going to split it up to to break some of those movements up for people and split it up. Focus, yeah, focus a little bit more intense on those those movements for design for that day. You got it. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So let's let's get into the obstacles because that that is you know the fun part and that's uh, something that a lot of people struggle with and um, I know most people or I shouldn't say most people but a lot of people they just want to hit those obstacles nonstop and just practice 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 but I think we know that without that underlying strength you're going to have a really hard time getting some of these obstacles so I just wanted to see so what's your approach to get get some of this obstacle specific training in well. That's, that's a complicated question, Mike. I mean, at my gym, um, my gym's called Legacy Athletic Club. We have a lot of equipment. We have a like a 50-foot-long monkey bar, multi-rig. Uh, we have 20-foot climbing ropes. We have four, seven, and eight-foot walls uh, to climb over. We have a traverse wall with like the rock climbing grips. Mm -hmm. So if you have that, obviously it's great if you can get people to get the get the feel for it because there's there's technique involved in every obstacle and i always like to tell people you know you show them one way and they're like oh my god i can't do that i'm like well relax it's not the only way to do that obstacle yeah you know we got to find one that works for you so here's another way mm -hmm. um, maybe i could use monkey bars as an example you get a lot of uh lady clients who have are short and they have short, shorter arms than me. I'm, I'm six foot tall. I have like a three and a half foot long arm, you know? So they're like, well, I can't swing from one bar to the next. And I'm like, well, sure you can. You start with both hands on one bar 
you use your hips and legs to create a swing and because your body is moving closer to that next bar you don't have to reach as far right so your your technique for you you have short arms you're just gonna go you're gonna do your swing forward toward the bar and you're gonna reach out with one hand let go with the back hand and move that hand so you now you have two hands on the next bar so it's just the out together out together pattern um, then for people with long arms, you, you might be able to get away with skipping a bar in between, you know, true monkey bar style, but you also have to have really good shoulder flexibility for that. Yeah. 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 Um, and I love that. Um, I think that's such a, a good point to bring up because one, there's no right way to do it and you should practice other ways because you might have always swung, which when I first started doing these type of races, I always, you know, I, I have long arms as well. So I would just kind of swing no problem, one bar to the next. And then I started realizing, you know what, sometimes these bars are wet. <laughs> Oftentimes <laughs> these bars are wet and muddy. And when you only have yeah. one hand on the bar, I just don't like being in that position. So I'm, I'm gonna go with the kind of the approach you just said. I want two hands as often on the bar as I can, just, yeah. just in case something like that happens. So um, I'm gonna train that way. And then, and maybe I'm gonna go sideways just because maybe I tweak something and I can't go through mm -hmm the way I normally go. So I just want to have options. So it's a, it's a good Absolutely. point to bring up that. Have your main way that you're most comfortable with, but try yes. some other ones and just see how it goes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you reminded me about the sideways. Uh, I haven't done that one in a while, but I actually like that. It, it Somehow that neutral grip yeah. between the hands feels very natural. Um, I'm gonna go try that again tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, um, kind of what you were saying before like most people and we actually talked about this on the on our last podcast i talked about people's shoulders and how they're often well one they a lot of times they're just hurt and hanging is yeah. just not a great position for them to be in but even if they're not hurt there's often an issue in there and monkey bars is a great way to bring out that issue if you're not careful but <laughs> yes. you know keeping a neutral grip with you know if you're in the gym doing like overhead presses a lot of times a neutral grip is just going to be more comfortable and it's going to be safer so like that's a great way mm -hmm. to to add in your overhead presses. So same thing with monkey bars or pull-ups or whatever. If you have the yeah. chance, that neutral grip is just more comfortable and you're gonna get your shoulder in a better position and that might that might be the way to go for some people. So, um, right. yeah. Cool, so what if, okay, what if we don't have all of these cool cool things? We don't have walls uh, to jump over. We don't have the, the Z wall to practice on. <laughs> you know, are we screwed or what, <laughs> what should we no, be doing? No. You're not screwed. Um, when, if you if you break it down, look. If you don't have the specific obstacles, you focus on. I'm going to use the word the qualities of the race. The, the the different skills would be a better word. The different skills that you need in obstacle racing. You need endurance. You need to be able to perform work over a long period of time, sustained work. Um, you need conditioning. You need to be able to provide to. Um, produce a certain amount of force um, you need to be able to have you need grip strength mm -hmm. um, and you need things like just simply running technique right they're diff all different running coaches out there who can help you uh, improve your running and specifically on trails versus on a road like very different uh, surface and terrain that you you need to worry about tripping on a route or slipping on a rock um, so there's lots of stuff going on, but for something like say grip strength, um, if your gym has a sled and maybe, uh, 
a climbing rope or just some kind of thick braided rope. You could sling a rope around it and drag it across the floor, pulling it as if it were a sideways uh, rope climb. Uh, something that builds grip strength um, and that equipment's easier to come by. Mm -hmm. If you are stuck in your office all day and you just don't have time to get to the gym but you want to work on grip strength, there's actually a really cool little gadget that we use at the clinic. It's called the TheraBand is the brand mm -hmm. and it's called Flex Bar. It's basically a very dense um, rubber cylinder. It has knurled edges which is also cool because you can like use uh, do myofascial release with it nice. um, so you can press down on the sore tender spots on your muscles and uh, kind of massage it but if you do something as simple as wringing grab you grab the two ends of it and wring it out like a towel twisting in opposite directions um, it is in incredibly uh, helpful for building forearm strength which translates to grip strength awesome yeah I, as you you know where I, I can see you uh on video right now and you um I, I i'll be honest i've never seen that before so i'm gonna put, again put a link in our show notes so uh people can check that's that out because that's that's pretty cool yeah such a simple thing you're sitting yeah and the, yeah and the best part for for you spartans the there's four colors available and each color is a different uh tension let's mm -hmm. the if you just think of the trifecta they come in the red the green and the blue those are the only three you'll you'll, oh, nice. you'll need <laughs> perfect match right so I'll, yeah. I'll put a link so people can check those out if you're bored at work or just want to do some yeah. training when uh, maybe you're on the phone or or whenever you're free that's awesome yeah yeah it comes with a little booklet they're about 15 to 20 bucks each on ebay or amazon nice they're easy to get awesome awesome cool um let's get into uh fueling a little bit and i know this is a huge topic yeah. and we can go a million different directions but what are just maybe some of your go-to fueling either foods supplements or just philosophies in general and um, okay. or maybe some recovery as well sure um okay general philosophy uh never start if if it's race day whatever you do do not eat an unfamiliar food don't take the chance that you're gonna. It's gonna disagree with you. You're gonna get queasy. Uh, you don't want to deal with that on race day. You've got enough nerves as it is. Um, other than that, I mean, you could simplify it to eating whole foods, a balanced diet. Um, I I tend to like natural, what we call ergogenic aids, or um, like a performance enhancement. I just go to coffee, right? So I drink 16 ounces of coffee shortly before a race. I might have uh, a smoothie, uh, maybe vegetable and fruit smoothie a couple hours before. Um, I'm big on eating like oatmeal and steel cut oats with um, ground uh, flax seed uh, for breakfast, maybe throw in some blueberries to sweeten it up. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely like, you know, everyone's into like carbo loading, you know, let's eat as many carbs as we can on race day. Well. In truth, you should be building that up a little bit more the three days prior to an event, but also depends on the event. If it's a sprint, it's only four miles. You don't have to worry about it that much. Mm -hmm. So for a sprint or a, you know, a four mile or something like that, I would say eat familiar foods that you know are nutritious and then get the rest of your energy from proper hydration and eating things during the race. Um, during the race, um, my go-tos are Jelly Belly Sport Beans, which have electrolytes in them. Um, 
Generally speaking, I would not recommend drinking plain water in any race because you're going to be sweating like a pig and there go all your electrolytes. You need to take in more electrolytes. Um, that could be Gatorade. That could be dissolving noon tablets. Uh, there's something called oral IV. Probably some of you have heard of oral IV. Mm -hmm. um, but take that in your liquid for sure. Just whatever you do, not just plain water. Did I mention Cliff Shot Blocks? I like those a lot. Okay. They have like 12 different flavors. They're tasty. They're like little gummy uh, squares. Mm -hmm. um, one, you know, sometimes I'll do like in the supermarket, um, if it's a longer uh, event, like a, um, you know, eight mile, 10 mile, 12 mile, I might have uh, almond butter. They sell it in those packets and they have maple almond butter and vanilla. Those are pretty good. Um, for some people, a lot of my students, they're like, you know, PB and J is my go-to <laughs> race fuel. I'm like, hey, good, you know, oh, whatever works. It's tasty. It's got a little bit of everything in there for you. Nice. Some pro vegetable protein, some healthy fat, and some carbs. Like, you're good to go. Yeah. So you're you're definitely on the kind of school of thought, like the more balanced type of uh, of fueling with you know, get some carbs, get some fats, get some proteins. Not necessarily. <laughs> Hey, let's hit all carbs beforehand, or no, let's go all fat. You know, you ketogenic. So you're you're kind of going a nice blend, um, and then obviously familiar foods. Yeah, yeah. I mean, keto is great for certain things, but it's it, it is the probably the absolute hardest thing for you to perform well as an athlete, and that's what these races are asking you to do: perform as an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that is for you, you know, your level, but. Yeah. It's really hard to do that on, on a keto diet. Absolutely, yeah. Cool, well, um, I, you, you brought something up. I wanna go back real quick. And um, you, you mentioned your injury, so your, your stress fracture. And you kind of mentioned that working with, uh, with PTs, you kind of learned a lot of different things to um, kind of see these common compensations that, that come up. And in particular running, because you know, running is, is a lot on the body, right? It's, Yes. You know, stepping from one foot or jumping from one foot to the other, um, you know, pounding over and over and over again. And I just wanted to ask you, do you see kind of some really common compensations that come up with running that most people suffer from, or at least a lot of people you've worked with suffer from that might lead to issues down the road? Is, is there anything? I know I'm sure there's a million different things that could pop up, but I don't know if there's anything you see on a regular basis that people could, could work on correcting. Well, on a regular basis, uh, the most common things we see here from running tend to be something along the lines of plantar fasciitis okay. or um, maybe, um, I'm trying to think of the other thing. It's not a stress fracture, it's a shin splint. Shin splint, that's the one. Um, and that shin splints tend to stem from the fact that a lot of people run. <laughs> Let me summarize it this way. Uh, my guy, Dr. Cooper, he, he has a good philosophy on this. He goes, you shouldn't run to get in shape. You should get in shape to run because it is technical. You know, there there's certain things you need to, to know about gait. But a lot of people in general, right, Mike, they have flat feet. Their arches just go like this every time weight goes on it. And when that happens, the shin bone rotates inward and you see it as the knee moving inward. That, that knee collapse we talked about before. Yeah. Um, but it puts a lot of stress on 
the shin bone and simply having an orthotic that braces the arch higher up so that, yeah, it may flatten, but it may only flatten this much, not this much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can hold your hands out in front of you with your fingers like this, mm-hmm. and that is the perfect model of your foot arch. Your hand bone structure and your foot bone structure are virtually the same. So if you go and put your the heel of your palm and the fingertips on the table and start to press down, you see that your middle finger, index finger, thumb, right? They all start to flatten out. They move in toward the center, don't they? Yeah, so the same thing happens with your feet. That's just an easier way for you to see it. Um, you know, you know what might help your uh, your listeners, Mike. Um, I'm going to send you a link for something called the Warrior Ten. Doctor Cooper created a really awesome program specifically for runners, awesome. and it consists of five stretches and five strength exercises, and all of it can be done in ten minutes. And all you need is one of those green uh, loop bands. I think Perform Better makes the loop band. Yeah, yeah, the mini bands. Um, I'll send you guys you the link to that, and feel free to share that with anyone. And it's uh, it'll be me. I'm modeling in the video. I'm doing the workout, so you get to do it with me. All right. <laughs> that, I really appreciate it, and um, that, yeah. that's going to be awesome to check out. So thank you so much. Sure. Cool. Well, I know. Um, we are coming to the end. I know you got to go, and I don't want to hold you up all day. We could definitely talk more, but um, if people do want to ask you questions or get a hold of you or just kind of check out what you're doing, where would be a good place to, to find out more about you? Uh, well, you can go to my website. It's www.radsimspt. It's uh, S-I-M-S, one M, pt.com. Um, that may redirect to bradsimscpt.com, but don't worry about it. It just automatically does that. Okay. Um, also, if you, uh, you know, have my email. You can email me directly at sims.brad at gmail.com. Okay. And feel free to reach out with uh, any questions. You want advice? You want to pick my brain? That's what I'm here for. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Again, I'll, I'll put links to, to your uh, your info as well as um, that, that program. That sounds awesome. And then any other links that we mentioned in this show, you guys should just head over to the show notes and, and check those out. So, Coach Brad, thank you so much for coming on and doing this today. Great. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Hopefully we'll see you soon. Okay. Later. All right, guys. Well, that's it for episode 35 of the OCR Underground Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, check out the show notes at ocrunderground.com slash episode 35. Check out all the links mentioned in this episode. Also wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. A special thanks to Designer Protein. Uh, you can check out all of their different protein products and meal replacements, uh, greens powder, and a few other products that they carry at designerprotein.com. And remember to use code SDPremier20 so you can get 20% off your order. And if you're looking for some new mobility tools, foam rollers, peanuts, spheres, um, check out Mobilitas at yourjointsshouldnthurt.com for some high durable, um, cool looking mobility tools that you definitely should be doing before and after every workout. And again, a special thanks to our guests, Coach Sam Slossman and Brad Sims for sharing their insight and training and uh, giving us a race recap for Monterey. Uh, Hope you guys got some great tips out of both of their their segments. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get all the latest episodes right to your inbox or your 
on your phone or however you may be listening, uh, just head over to iTunes and click the subscribe button. And while you're there, we'd love it if you would give us a, a review and let us know exactly how we're doing um, so we can keep doing it or make sure we are improving if, if you don't like what we're talking about. Uh, but that's it. Next week, we're going to have another awesome episode. And until then, keep training smarter, not just harder. We'll see you then.